Welcome back, everybody, to another Vince August podcast, episode 14. Uh, I absolutely blew a gasket reading a story in the newspaper um, on Monday, and then my brain exploded with the story I read today, and... I'm going to get right into this. If you go to this is the the source of the story I'm looking at. The website is the Wall Street Journal. It's in the business section, law blog. This is a story, um, December 8, 2014, article by Jacob Gershman, G-E-R-S-H-M-A-N. And the title of the story is Columbia Law School Let's Students Postpone Exams Due to grand jury decisions. I, I, I can't even make this up. And I'm going to read the beginning of the story to you right now. Columbia University Law School is allowing its students to reschedule their exams if they feel traumatized. Traumatized by the recent grand jury decisions in Eric Garner and Michael Brown cases. The school's interim dean, Robert E. Scott, notify students of the option in an email circulated to the student body on Saturday on the eve of the December exam period. Here's the quote. The grand jury's determinations to return non-indictments in the Michael Brown and Eric Garner cases have shaken the faith of some in the integrity of the grand jury system and in the law more generally, Mr. Scott's letter said. Continuing the quote, for some law students, particularly though not only students of color. The chain of events is all the more profound as it threatens to undermine a sense that the law is a fundamental pillar of society designed to protect fairness, due process, and equality. Uh, It continues. Students who feel that their performance on examinations will be sufficiently impaired due to the effects of these recent events may petition to have an examination rescheduled. Uh, the school informed students of the policy amid protests in the city and other urban areas across America over the decisions by grand juries in New York City and Missouri not to indict white police officers involved in the deaths of two black men. The legal developments have struck a nerve on the Ivy League campus located blocks away from Harlem. A number of Columbia students have joined the demonstrations, according to student newspaper reports. Uh, Mr. Scott said the option to postpone a test was in accordance with the school's existing examination policies. The the schools typically allow students to reschedule an exam because of illness, religious observance, a death in the family, or other exceptional circumstance. You can go ahead and read the rest of the article as I think you get the gist of it. So we're looking here at exceptional circumstance. Listen, I've been a lawyer since 1996. We're going on close to 20 years. I have been in and out of courtrooms since 1999. I was a judge from 2008 until September of 2013, almost six years in the courtroom 
as a lawyer and a judge throughout that time, still in court now since I have given up my judge position. And I'm here to say right now to the dean of Columbia Law School, to the students at Columbia Law School, if you feel you are too traumatized to not be able to take your final exams because of these two decisions by grand juries, get out of law school now. Get out of law school now. Don't even think about going into the practice of law because you are not equipped to handle the stresses of being a lawyer. Period. End of story. If you are traumatized by these grand jury decisions, whatever will you do when you lose a motion, lose a case, Submit a brief for an appeal and your appeal is rejected or denied. I mean, there are so many things you're going to go through in the practice of law that if a decision not directly impacting you on your job affects you, then you have an unbelievable problem to deal with in life with regards to your sensitivities. I mean, are you kidding me? Is this where we are? Are we really at a point where, you know what, I'm watching these protests and I'm seeing injustice and I can't exist? Well, first of all, if it took these two grand jury decisions for you to finally awaken from the slumber that you have been in to realize that there are injustices in the world. We have had people serve lengthy jail sentences and have their convictions overturned and have them freed from prison after serving 20, 30 years. We have had people put to death by the death penalty only to discover evidence later on which would have exonerated them. If this is the thing that has made you realize we have a problem potentially with our legal system, specifically the grand jury system, if this is the type of thing that traumatizes you in a way that you can't function to study for a final exam and take a final exam, Not only are you not equipped to be a lawyer, you're not equipped to do many jobs in our society. Because I have to tell you, you're going to deal with many more traumatic events in your lifetime. And if you can't deal with this, how will you deal with a death in your own family? How are you going to deal with illness within your family? How are you going to deal with the tragedies that may fall upon you? in your life, dealing with your own illness, injury, stress. I mean, if the answer to stress in our society is, you know what? I need a break. I'll Let me tell you when I'm ready to come back. Right now, I need a break. I can't deal. And that, that's an expression that, you know, I hear young people, I can't even deal right now. 
I can't deal with this right now. Seriously, how sensitive have we become? What are we raising here? I mean, what what is our youth turning into here? Are we that soft? Because I have to tell you, you need to look at the rest of the world and the stresses the rest of the world deals with. Go to Africa and deal with the stresses of not knowing if you're going to eat. Go to Africa and deal with the stresses. You want, you want to talk about an oppressive leadership. You want to talk about grand jury. Are you out of your mind? Have you not seen that they actually kidnap young girls, rape young girls, sell young girls off into slavery? Have you not seen what happens in China? Do you not see what's going on in the Ukraine with Russia? I haven't even touched the Middle East. You want to talk about oppression around the world? And you know what? Those people function, man. They get up and they plow through, which is why the rest of the world is blowing past us. Let me tell you, we may be, quote unquote, civilized as a society because of our technology. We may be civilized because of roads, bridges, and things like that. But we are really falling behind the rest of the world when it comes to the ability to overcome the simple things in life. We are getting softer and softer and softer each and every day in this society. You're in law school. You're in Columbia Law School. This is the Ivy League. You are the cream of the crop, allegedly. You should be able to handle any type of mental challenge thrown your way. And because you see a bad legal decision, you are too traumatized to sit for your exam because you know what? Harlem's right around the corner for me. Then what are people in Staten Island to do? It occurred in their neighborhood. We should shut down Staten Island, shut down the Gothels, shut down the Verrazano Bridge, shut down that island, quarantine that island, put a wall around it, and give those people a timeout. We don't want any outside interference coming in and out. We need to quarantine that island and let those people have a timeout. Because you know what? There was a bad decision in a court case. A really bad decision. Let them take a break. Well, hold on a second. A year ago, they were devastated by Hurricane Sandy. Did we quarantine the island then? Was Columbia lost? Were Columbia law students asking for a break from school when they saw people's lives taken away by a storm? Were they so traumatized by that event? Because if if these are the type of events that traumatize you, then when nine eleven hits, we should have shut down America. We should have shut down this country. We should have shut down all the schools. We should have never gone back to work until we brought Osama bin Laden to justice. 
because ultimately that's what that was about, bringing Osama bin Laden to justice. Well, then we should have shut down everything because you know what? Justice was not served for the innocent lives that were lost on 9-11 in lower Manhattan and Washington, D.C., and in a field in Pennsylvania. Justice was not served. There are atrocities occurring around the world, and I don't see governments around the world shutting down, saying, listen, we got to take a time out here. We got stuff going on in our country, and you know what? We need to shut the schools. We need to shut this. We look for an opportunity in this country to coddle our youth every twist and turn of the way. And I have to tell you, it's making me sick. I'm absolutely sickened by it. And I'm going to read to you now a story that was in the Bergen Record on Monday as well. This is becoming a big, big deal. This is not limited to Columbia University. This is a story reported by Dina, D-E-E-N-A, Yellen, Y-E-L-L-I-N. And it's front page on the local section. Parents push back on homework. Tenafly, other districts will look at reducing pressure on students. Here's the story. Pressured by parents. Pressured by parents is how it starts. School district officials are considering lowering the stress of homework with such measures as homework-free nights and vacations and giving students more information about the demands they will face in choosing courses. Second part of that I love with regards to the demands in choosing courses. I absolutely love that because we want to tell kids right up front, hey, listen, science, biology, math, these are going to require you to do a lot of work. We have a whole slew of other subjects here that aren't going to require as much work. So if you want to set the bar low, please do. I'm being unbelievably sarcastic right now. I hope you're reading that. It continues. The district also will organize workshops for parents on reducing children's stress. Again, the the stress on the children thing is blowing my mind. Um, I I was raised in a family business from age four. We always had a family business. And I helped out in that family business for as long as I can remember, whether it was grab a a broom, help sweep. Um, We had a bakery, break stale bread go on a route with one of my brothers just to keep them company and help out and see what's going on. I'm talking literally a little kid, literally a little kid. We had a school across the street from me. It was a a, a Catholic school, St. Francis of Assisi school, where we had black habit nuns and Franciscan priests with the rope, with the knots. Um, Between the pointer, the yardstick, and the rope and the knots, we were... Certainly allowed to be hit. It was not abuse. It was not abuse. So don't turn this into that if you're listening to it, how the Roman Catholic school system is basically a penal system. That's not what it was. I don't have emotional scars from it. I went to a LaSalle 
high school, LaSalle Brother High School. We had a dean of discipline. It was all boys. Dean of discipline certainly had the ability to put his hands on you. I was one of the people that was disciplined in high school. He picked me up out of a chair, slammed me against a locker. I, I, I had it coming to me. I was goofing off in class. I had it coming to me. I sat in detention twice in high school. I'd say once I really had it coming to me, the other time was a eh, borderline call, served it out. It was definitely a very high discipline high school. It was college prep courses. We, If you failed the midterm, you failed the class. If you failed the final, you failed the class. That's how much pressure was on these exams. We had lots of homework. I worked while going to school for my other family business, a deli grocery. I would say I had two, two hours of homework a night. I played football freshman year. I played outside sports sophomore and junior year. Senior year, I started dedicating, dedicating myself to becoming a power lifter, again, outside the school. I suffered from depression from what my therapy tells me from about age 13. Battled through it. There were times I look back on my childhood, my adolescence, and it was like an out-of-body experience. Managed to get through by the grace of God. I'm telling you all of this because I am not in any way belittling the stress of a teenager especially after what I endured and having suffered from depression from age 13 to the point where it was diagnosed age 19, um, continued to battle it hard through my mid twenties, kind of started getting a grip on it around age 26, which was ironically the time I started comedy. You'll always battle it if you have it, without a doubt. I am not belittling depression. I'm not belittling stress. Okay, let's get that out of the way. With regards to the pressures on children, the story continues in the Bergen record. The measures are being taken after a group of high school parents confronted the school board arguing that homework is wreaking havoc on their children's lives. Tenafly is just the latest of many school districts nationwide trying new approaches. Okay, I'm going to skip ahead. The parents group Rational Homework Review says the heavy workload prevents their children from maintaining a healthy lifestyle and getting adequate sleep. Story continues. Nationally, an anti-homework backlash has been spurred in part by studies on sleep deprivation among teens, a plethora of books about homework craze, and a documentary called Race to Nowhere about students in a pressure educational environment. Once again, skipping ahead. The district also is preparing course guidelines to help students better understand the demands of courses before they sign up. Again, the demands of courses before they sign up thing is making me insane because basically what we're going to do is we're going to tell students don't take hard courses. Take the easy road. Take the high road. Um, Jumping ahead in the article. Here's a quote. 
We feel that many cases show a lack of focus on quantity. I'm sorry. I'm going to read that again. We feel that in many cases there's a focus on quantity rather than the quality of homework. She criticized repetitive tasks and wrote memorization as having little education value and argued that in advanced courses, more coursework is emphasized instead of advanced thinking skills. Okay, let's get into the repetitive thing. She criticized repetitive tasks. Repetitive tasks are designed to help create repetitive behavior. Let's go to athletics. Let's go to all of the kids that are shipped around from soccer to basketball to baseball to martial arts to all the various things, music, music lessons, singing lessons. Repetitive behavior, repetitive tasks are necessary for a person to develop a skill and turn that repetitive behavior and task into a second nature. In order to get good at something, you must do it over and over and over and over again. Take martial arts. You will practice the the same striking method over and over again to make sure you are doing it the right way to avoid injury. Because if you show someone how to strike a pad and not twist their wrist, land the first two knuckles, okay? Do not hyperextend the elbow. Extend through your body and not just throw your arm forward. A person could become injured. And in order to execute that movement properly, you will have to make that movement hundreds, hundreds, if not thousands of times. Take sports. In order to properly execute a layup in basketball, you will do layup drills for hours on end. In order to dribble a basketball well, you will do dribbling ball handing skills for hours on end. Football, soccer, baseball, I don't care what the sport is. Your kids will do repetitive behavior for hours on end. Why is this a problem when it comes to homework? Why is a repetitive behavior when it comes to studying a problem? With regards to the amount of homework that is being sent home, listen, if your kid is in six courses and each teacher is giving that kid an hour's worth of homework a night, I agree. You can't have a kid in school because school starts now at like 730. Kids are in school. Classes start at like 8 o'clock, go until 230. You can't have a kid wake up that early, send them home with six hours of homework. Agreed. Agreed. If you're getting a half hour of homework, Per class, what you're being told is do this repetitive behavior, do this task for 30 minutes. Six classes, three hours. If your kid gets home 
out of school 2.30. They go to football. They eat dinner. Home, ready to go by 7 o'clock. Three hours, 7 to 10. Hey, yeah, then that kid's going to bed kind of late. It's at that point you have to assess what your kid is able to handle. And maybe, you know what, we need to put less focus on the multitude of after-school activities. Less focus on bringing your kid from soccer to music to this to that. Maybe you have your kid in too much stuff other than school. Maybe that's part of the problem too. Maybe part of the problem is parents are helping their kids with homework and the parents are getting sick of doing the homework with their kids. I think that's got to be part of this equation. I really do. I think part of this is the parents' frustration with the amount of homework because the parents are getting involved in the kids' homework. I got to tell you, my parents never helped me with my homework. Never. It was my homework. And I have to tell you, I substitute teach, and I sat in on classes as a substitute teacher. Can I tell you how many times during my substitution, if an assignment was done, I would look at the kids and say, guys, if you want to get to some homework right now, now's the time to do it. You're in school. You're in school mode. Do your homework. I'm giving you the choice. You could do your homework now for another class. I'm going to tell you one at most out of every 10 kids chose to do homework. 99% of the class chose to screw off. Period. End. Kids were given assignments. The first question when I handed assignment, when is this assignment due? It's due at the end of class. Oh, man. So you, you just don't want to do work. You don't want to do work. It's not that you don't want to do homework. You don't want to do any work. You're in school, man. Focus. Do your assignment. I can't tell you how many kids just couldn't sit in class and do the work. Now, I'm going to tell you something right now. My high school, Paramus Catholic, at the time, boys high school, now it's co-ed. I went there from 1983 to 1987. I worked my tail off. I studied in high school. I had somehow, some way, I was in honors chemistry, honors biology. I don't even know how I was in these honors classes. I guess I scored high on some test when I got into school. I was in, by the time I got to my senior year, I was taking three credits of college English. A Seton Hall course that was approved by Seton Hall University. One of the professors at our school uh, was obviously accredited to teach this course. And we got three credits for college. That's the type of high school program I was in. Busted my tail. Worked at the same time. Earned enough money to buy my own car. Used, but bought my own car by the time I was a senior. Before I had a driver's license, I bought my own car with money I earned. I was so prepared for college 
that by the time I got to Fordham University, I could sit in a classroom, take notes, go back to my dorm room, and bang out homework assignments faster than a lot of kids. I wound up being an honor student at Fordham University in an accounting major. Law school was without a doubt one of the hardest things I ever endured in my life. I'm going to tell you three hours of reading a night was a light night. You're looking at four to five hours of reading a night in law school. It's funny. I had books on my shelves and a client once said to me when I first set up my office, did you read all those books? And I looked at them. I said, cover to cover. And they looked back at me. I said, pick out any one of those books. I dare you turn to the back. I dare you to not find highlighted pages and notes. I dare you cover to cover the amount of work given in law school is absolutely obscene. It prepared me for life in ways you cannot imagine the tools we are trying to equip students with in school. This is not just about being able to finish an assignment. It's about preparing them for the world that awaits them. Now, I'm not saying we need to put kids in lockdown. I'm not saying kids need to be out of any type of extracurricular, out of sports, and should be reading and working on their school assignments all day long. What I am saying is we are getting into a very dangerous area where parents can go to a school and tell a school, you know what, I don't like the way you guys are running this. We already have a problem in our schools that our government has changed the means and methods in which students are taught. Students are not taught to think anymore. They're not taught to do anything but pass tests. Period. End of story. We are now a society that prepares kids to pass tests. We don't teach kids. Now, part of the reason we can't teach kids anymore is because parents, lawyers, get involved with the school curriculum and start saying, we don't like you teaching evolution. We don't like you teaching the Bible. We don't like you teaching this. We don't like you teaching. Listen, I was the, the Bible was shoved down my throat from kindergarten, okay? I went to a Franciscan school from K through 8. I went to a LaSalle High School, 9 to 12. I went to Fordham University Jesuit School for four years of college. I had that book rammed down my throat every which way. I could tell you right now, I am one of the furthest things you will ever have from being a Bible belter. I don't preach religion. I don't go around telling people what they should or shouldn't believe. I just tell people, listen, don't mock my religious beliefs. You could do whatever you want. You could practice whatever religion you want. Just don't mock my religion. Don't tell me what, when, where, and how I can practice my religion. You want to do what you want to do, do what, you know, fine, I don't care. 
That's what the First Amendment is about. Freedom of religion. Let me exercise my religious beliefs the way I want to, please. Other than that, that book has been rammed down my throat. I can sift through it and tell you, you know, what where where the BS is, where the stories are meant to guide you and give you a pathway through life. Okay? I'm not here to try to convert anybody. Right? And whether you want to believe the stories or not, you can look at it as a historic sense and say, you know what? Look at the life of this guy, Jesus. He's a good guy. Didn't hurt anybody. Turn the other cheek. Man, he's he's as big of a hippie. He would be leading the protest today. That That's the guy most people can associate with. But because the Catholic Church is vilified, we vilified a whole religion. And it's the same with pretty much every book out there. Okay. It's the organizations that ruin the books, but I don't want to get into that. The point of all of this is we then try to tell the schools what they can teach. So now we're going to tell them. We're going to start off by telling them, we don't want you teaching the Bible. We want you teaching evolution. And in other schools, we don't want you teaching evolution. We want you teaching the Bible. Well, you know what? I don't want you teaching my kid or telling my kid that this was the version of World War II that made Japanese people look bad when they attacked Pearl Harbor because, you know what, I'm Japanese and I don't want my kid coming home thinking that, you know, our, our government did something bad on December 7, 1941. And, you know, I don't want you talking bad about Germany and how they treated the Jews during World War II because we're of German descent, and that's going to traumatize my kids. And, you know what, you have to be careful because my kid is coming home traumatized and feels bad that, you know, there were slave owners in this country. And listen, you can't say, I don't want you teaching this. I don't want you teaching that. Then say, you're giving my kids too much work to do at home when you don't know what they're doing in the classroom. Unless you've been in a classroom, parents, unless you've taken the time to actually sit in a classroom and see what kind of work your kids are or aren't doing, you don't know what they're doing at school. You really have no concept of, of what they're doing at school. If you have that big of a problem with the education system and we're going to break it down to that point, we are slowly moving towards a place of homeschooling and you're going to be raising your own kid, period, end of story. We're going to be doing away with schools. There has to be some type of structure. We have limited the ability of teachers to teach what they can teach, what they can say, how they can say it. We're now going to limit the amount of work they can give and send kids home to do work on their own. We've changed the education structure that we're not trying to teach kids to think we're trying to worry we're, we're so worried about teaching them what to think and how to think that now it's just become just pass the damn test our education system is failing us miserably and the more people get involved the more parents getting involved the more lawyers getting involved the more psychiatrists getting involved psychologists getting involved talking about how kids are traumatized, using words such as traumatized and everything else, we are going down an unbelievably dangerous path. This is so dangerous. We are changing our education, and this is happening 
as I just read the Bergen Record article, from grammar schools all the way to, as I read the Wall Street Journal article, are Ivy League schools. We are coddling our kids in a way to try to keep them away from stress and dangers. You know, it's funny. I just had this conversation with with someone yesterday. I was at The Daily Show, and I said, you know, I walked into the school, and in every school we have a hand sanitizer, every classroom. Every classroom has a hand sanitizer. Have we become so sensitive to germs? I mean, are that many kids dying of germs today? Are we real? Are we really unable to defeat germs? I, I mean, is that where we are? I mean, listen, we we have sinks you you don't now that are touch free, toilet bowls that are touch free. We we can't touch anything anymore. We can't touch doors. We we everything now is is operated by motion, because God forbid we touch anything. There's going to come a point in time we're probably not even going to need arms and hands anymore. We're not going to need limbs. Everything, just, you know what, we're, we're just going to be put into chairs that we could just roll by things. And everything will turn on. Or be sound activated. I mean, we, we are getting to a point and to a place. We are so coddled, so worried about affecting people. I have to tell you, everybody. Your kids are not going to be prepared for life. I look at the generations, two generations before us, the generation that fought World War II, that generation. And I look at, you know, my friend, I'm I'm going to bring her up again, Naomi Haber, whose father survived eight concentration camps and his success story and what he eventually turned into in life, running a bar nightclub in Germany, the very place he was held captive for eight years to become a businessman and run one of the more successful clubs in Germany, the gateway for huge rock and roll bands to come through that he actually refused to book the Beatles in his club. This is how big we're talking. He survived eight concentration camps what do your kids know about stress when I've got a guy who survived eight concentration camps when we have kids in India in Africa South America all around the world that are dealing with levels of poverty That your kids can never understand. Your kid who is chauffeured from school event to school event, from athletic event to athletic event, taken all over the place with their iPhones, with their laptops, their MacBooks, their iPads. They're unable to deal with the stresses that they're this traumatized. Now listen, I'm not saying again to send these kids home with tons of homework, six hours of homework. No, absolutely not. But that we are so worried that they need vacations from homework, that they need free nights from home. You know what those free nights are called? Weekends, Saturday and Sunday. You know what those free nights are called? Spring break, winter break, Christmas break, summer break. Those are their breaks. Because when you get to the workforce, 
if you someday become a lawyer and you wish to pursue another career as an entertainer and maybe get lucky enough to be appointed a judge, and I'm going to pat myself on it, my own back. I'm going to tell you right now, 60-hour work weeks were normal. I maintained a relationship during that time. My social life was my entertainment and, and being a comedian. And my fiance, God bless her, there were times where our nights out was her coming with me to the club and watching me do stand-up. Nothing glamorous about it. Working till 2 in the morning. Coming home, going to court the next day. Being in a suit, ready to go. My office is now a home office to make me as effective as possible, efficient as possible in dealing with my workload so that I can work, comedy, law, go back and forth. If I have to go to audition, come back. If I'm up in my house, you know what? Going to my office, driving across town or a different town, maybe that's, you know, I'm too tired to go. Boom, walk next door. I used to go to... (laughs) I used to work in my office in Ridgewood. My light used to be on until 2 o'clock in the morning. That I had a cop come to my office one night. You saw the light on. My car was parked in front, and you couldn't park overnight in the street. And he said, is that your car out front? I said, yeah, I'm working late. He goes, all right, just checking in. He goes, so when I see this light on, I know that it's you parked in front working late. Yeah, it's me, officer. Come home 2, 3 in the morning because between going to a gig and going back to my office. This is real life, man. You got... All these protests, you got cops working 60-hour weeks. You have construction workers out there working crazy hours, building roads, building buildings. You have doctors that don't see a break. The doctor that did my father's liver operation, liver transplant, it was a nine-hour surgery, a continual nine-hour surgery. Can't take a break during a liver transplant. Guy dies. I mean, I, I, I really don't know. I, I don't know where we're going here, but if we're coddling law students to the point where, you know what, these two decisions, you, this has got to be rough on you. You know what? Take a break. Take a break. Take a break. What are they going to do when they lose a case? Are you kidding me? I'm appealing a case right now that's so important to my office. I don't know how I have the time to do this podcast. Oh, wait. Yeah, I do. You know what? I take one hour away from my sleep. I take one hour away from something I would enjoy doing. You know what? Today, I don't get to go to the gym. You know what? Today, I eat lunch at my desk. Oh, yeah, right. That's how I do it. And I have to tell you, I love to work. I'm one of these people. I love to work. I love doing this podcast. I love being on stage. I love acting. The fact that I don't do more acting is a trauma to me, but yet I seem to overcome it. I love my law practice. I love helping my clients. I love being able to get through the different phases of their life, whether it's get over a a speeding ticket or some type of motor vehicle violation, getting them to buy their first house and do their real estate closing, whatever it may be, defending them on a case, getting them money in a personal injury. I love doing that work. I love helping people out. And you know what? 
I enjoy doing it. And maybe it's because of the work ethic that was instilled in me as a kid in school through repetitive behavior and conduct. Hey, listen, I became a powerlifting champ. I was 1990 New York Times Powerlifter of the Year. I was one of the top-ranked powerlifters in the country. You know how? Repetitive behavior, going to the gym, squat, bench, deadlift, over and over and over and over again. When I, I take martial arts classes, I work bull shark martial arts. When I have an opportunity, I work with my sensei, Tom. We go there, repetitive behavior over and over and over again, working the pads. When I work jujitsu, we work the same move over and over and over again. This way, when you're in a real match, because we actually get on the mat and roll, and you're in the middle of a match, that repetitive behavior that you practiced over and over again when you're in that situation and someone's trying to put you in a submission hold, that repetitive behavior becomes an instinct and it works. These are the things that prepare you for life. Be careful, parents, with trying to limit these things because these things are the tools that will protect your children when you're not there to complain to their boss, when you're not there to hold their hand in the rest of life, when all of the other kids from around the world are doing better than your kid because you know what? The building's blowing up around them. The poverty they're growing up with are not having the traumatic effect on your kids that two court decisions that went wrong that are being reviewed by federal courts, which to me, the the Columbia University thing blows my mind. Blows my mind. Because if you're in law school, you should know there's going to be a federal review. It's not over. So what the hell are you so traumatized about? You know what? Maybe if you would do more of your homework and read the way the law works, you would realize there's nothing to be traumatized about because the system is not yet done. The system is not yet finished working on the Garner case, the Ferguson case. Oh, my God. My, my, I'm telling you, my head's going to explode on this one. I, I am beside myself with how we have become this soft of a country. We are going to, countries are blowing by us, man. Blowing by us. We are, we are so sensitized, so sensitive. Germs, work, stress, trauma. And listen, I'm not belittling it. I grew up with depression. I dealt with it. I know how dark it can be. But come on, man. There's another answer than just, you know what? They're stressed. Coddle. You know what? That coddling would have probably put me in a grave. The coddling would have put me in a grave. The fact that I had to work through things helped me work through my depression. Hate to say it, but a good work ethic will get you through anything. That's how our parents made this country great. That's how their grandparents made this country great. Not by sitting back and saying, we need a timeout. We need a time. We need a break. We need a vacation. No, that's not what made this country great. Ask your parents, ask your grandparents. 
and see if we're following their lessons or see if we're doing something really, really wrong right now. Guys, I, I don't know what to say other than I, I hope you're as fearful for our future as I am because these two news stories scare the hell out of me for our future and the future of the kids. Scare the hell out of me. I'm going to do my next podcast dealing with that depression issue to show that I'm not belittling it, to show that I actually have a very big part of me that is very sensitive myself to that type of trauma. So this is episode 14. It's going to lead into the next one and dealing with depression and dealing with trauma. So maybe this is part one of two. But we, we got to really be careful about amount of coddling going on and just what we're doing in this society. Too much, too much safety, too much care, too much stroking is not good, everybody. Wake up. Please wake up. Smell the coffee. Realize you're not doing anybody any good. Psychiatrists, psychologists, lawyers, parents, everybody, you got to back off a little bit. You really do. Vince August, everybody, enjoy. Enjoy.